even at A license level four coaches, you know, you ask them what their philosophy is, they and, and they're stunned. There are more Asians involved in football than you would expect. There are nowhere near as many Asians involved in football as there should be. Join us on the Our Game 2 podcast as we celebrate the ones that are and discuss the ones that aren't. Okay, now, so me and Z are joined by Coach Yaz from the Coaches Network. Yaz, how are you doing? Very well, thanks. And yourself? Yeah, doing doing phenomenal. Thank you very much for asking. The so you are an FA tutor, um, and also you run a podcast called The Coaches Network, and you've had some amazing guests on, like Shaquille O'Neal and stuff like that. I'll come back to that in a second. Just tell us a little bit about you first of all. What's your first of all? What's your ethnic background? So, um, my mother is Pakistani. My dad's from Malawi. Um, Yes, yeah, so I, I guess I'm Asian, Asian by uh, by nature. But um, I guess if you had to ask me to tick a box, I'd probably be mixed other. <laughs> how so? How do you? I mean, when people ask you where you're from and stuff, yeah. I don't know how often that happens. But how do you respond to that? Do you give them a long, short answer? Or does that depend on context? Um, I mean, to be honest with you, I mean, it, well, not many people do ask the question. But when it does get asked, it's kind of straightforward. As, as I've been with you, that you know, my mom's from my mom's from Pakistan, my dad's from Malawi. So yeah, I'm half Asian, half African. Um, certainly the way I consider it obviously people have their own perceptions on whether I am or I'm not but that's up to you know that's up to them to decide but you know as far as I'm concerned that, that's that's what it is you know that's what that's what I, that's what I know and um, that's what I associate myself as and I think for a lot of people who are maybe of Asian descent from uh, Africa if you like they often still kind of there's that still that doubt can be thrown at you are you really from there yeah, that's where my family from. That's all I know. So yeah, it's that's where I'm from. So, and I think that that that's a, that's a you know a hurdle or obstacle that we need to kind of get over as well. Okay, you think it's an internal thing with us as opposed to external? I guess there's probably a mix, right? Yeah, it's definitely a mix. I think you know, I, I think when it comes to race, um, again, if you you know if you go back to the, the concept of ticking a box on a form, if you like, tick whatever box I want, whatever I feel is appropriate for me, I'll tick that box. Um, obviously, there's some things which are factually incorrect <laughs> um you know i can't take i can't sit there and say that you know i'm a white englishman because i'm not but um i think there's certain things that I th- you know i'll give you an example if i talk about my family from malawi they're very patriotic they're very in touch with their you know with their homeland if you like um absolutely in love you would you wouldn't even doubt that's where they're from um on the, on the other hand you know people can look at some of the people in my family and be like well that person not from africa because they're not black that's the typical kind of you know um, stereotype that gets thrown out there, but again, each to their own. You reckon there's not oh. meant to be like an education of what or how Africa is made up as a continent and where how migration has happened there as well? But I don't think a lot of people understand Africa as a continent yeah, because often it gets dismissed uh, without being like rude about it. It gets dismissed. Uh, this an African language, but it's not an African language. It's multiple yeah, languages yeah. in each region in each country as well isn't it so i think sometimes it's a 100%. misunderstanding of how the continent's made up 100 percent. i think you know even even just you know if we i think education is a massive part to it uh understanding like you said the migration piece so you know talking you know talking about all the countries and all the people where they've come from originally but i think if you look at it people just typically stereotypically think right when you think of africa you think of west africa 
you might think parts of Central Africa, but generally, you know, there's Arabs there, there's you know the white people there, there's there's Asian people there, there's people from all over the world that have come to this this, this one you know beautiful continent. But I think it's it's the stereotypes that we need to kind of get rid of, um, and a lot of it is just down to education rather than anything else. I think what's quite interesting generally is just the fact that listen, there's still a hangover in terms of people seeing different kinds of people as different races. Now, I don't mm. use the word race. I didn't ask what race are you? I asked ethnicity. Mm. Um, and that's a very big difference for me because as far as I'm concerned, people are people and wherever mm. they're from. And the science backs that up. Sociologically, that's kind of backed up as well. But people have still got this thing that some people are different, like black people are different from from white people and white people are different from Asians. And if you're from Africa, you've got to be black. And if you're from Europe, you've got to be white, etc. So I th- I th- it's one. Of the, it's interesting. I th- still think we've got a long, long way to go. It's probably going to be a couple, at least a couple of generations before people stop thinking like that. Because I think, was it UNESCO or someone basically said in the 60s, they said scientifically, this is it. There is no difference between people. People are people. And that's it. But that's not how the vast majority of people see it. Mm. They're not educated any differently than that. This, this thing, isn't it? I think some people, right, it's a lack of education. Some people don't understand any other way of thinking. But I think it was also the lack of education, but also the reluctance to want to understand, um, you know, for, for different reasons. Maybe maybe they're getting some privileges by not accepting and not, not validating the fact there is differences or there is lack of difference, if you like. Um, and just if you look at if you look at it from so many different perspectives, I think the key thing is it is again that education piece. And I think the most important thing for people to really try and do is take their lens off it and try and look at it from another lens uh, and be, and be a bit more compassionate and empathetic towards people from different backgrounds, different you know races, religions, or wherever you wish to view it as. Um, and I think that's probably the way forward. But it starts again what what Z was saying there about the education piece. And I think how that looks, I don't know. Um, but something you know, it's definitely something that needs to be an ongoing discussion. Um, because the reality is, I don't think you're ever going to get to the bottom of it. Um, but you can get a step closer to trying. Cool, I didn't mean to start off so deep, <laughs> not quite sure how we got we got onto that, but there you go. Um, so what who do you support? What's your, what's your football team of choice? So, um, loose Man United fan, don't really watch much football anymore, um, which is kind of strange considering I'm a football coach and I spend a lot of my hours working coaches and supporting coaches in football um, and even delivering coach education courses. So, um, yeah, Man United is my, my team. Um, still, I guess, if you like, I've got a passion for the game, underlying passion, but um, I don't really watch it as much as I used to, um, but I'm more fixated around. As a coach, like when you're watching football, um can you ever watch it as a fan now? Because you're you're so deep steeped into the whole culture, to not just football, other sports as well. That when you're watching sport, you tend to find yourself analysing what's going on on the pitch in terms of positions and thinking like why the coach is making certain decisions. Or can you actually switch off and just watch a game as a fan? Yeah, I mean it's de- it's definitely a challenge. It's definitely a challenge. I know certainly since from when I first started coaching. Um, I've not I've not looked at the game the same way. You know, to, it, it took a number of years, I guess. But I think it depends also what level you're coaching at, and what, or maybe rather what you're considering within your coaching. So, if I was just thinking about the basic, the technical aspects, then I probably would be able to still watch it as a fan. Whereas, if you're looking at it from a coaching perspective, of how to maybe develop players holistically, uh, you can still appreciate the game, I guess. But you're probably going to look at it with a different lens. 
going to look at, well, why has he done that? Why has she done that? How, you know, what, what's the decision there? What's the decision there? What would I have done instead? What would I have told my players instead? So I think you're always asking those sorts of questions, but um, I think it depends on what kind of lens you're placing on your, your, your coaching in the first place that, that kind of dictates that. So for me, I've always been a bit about not so much the what I don't I'm not really interested in how on how a skills can performed or how the team play out from the back or anything like that but more interested in right how do we get that person to understand how do we get that person to develop that skill and that ability if you like and I guess having that kind of mindset has definitely distanced me from being able to watch it as a fan um, to the point where I don't really watch any games and if I do watch a game I I'll probably do it for the experience now of, or and what I mean by that is I'll probably go and watch a game live whether that be on you know a local Sunday league grassroots team or whatever or go and watch a game in a stadium I very rarely now if, if I'm honest watch the game on TV Cool Okay let's take it back a little bit how did you so how did you get into coaching what's been your football journey at the, from a young <laughs> yeah, age It's a bit of an interesting one um, so similar to you guys probably you know grew up playing on the streets uh, with, with mates and whatnot. so I've had a passion for football from a young age um, you know I used to play championship manager football manager you name it all the, all, all the players that used to be, you know, used to be on the game. Uh, so I got to about 15, 16, started to realise, you know what, okay, you know, school's about to finish. Uh, what am I going to do next? Um, and all I knew at that point is I didn't want to be stuck behind a desk. I didn't want to be stuck in an office. I didn't want to do anything like that. I didn't know what I wanted to do. I just knew I didn't want to do that. Um, got to... 16 did work experience in year 11 and I actually went to spend a, I think a week or two um, with Watford Football Club at the time um, done some stuff there with the community department and you know a couple of days uh, involved me in going and supporting one of the coaches um, I think doing some after school clubs or maybe during or yeah. PP lessons or something like that um, so I was, that was kind of my real first interaction with football coaching as, an, as a profession if you like um, and then, again, you know, going to college, not not really sure what I wanted to do, but so I did my first year in like two years in sports-related courses. Um, got to the end of that second year. Again, still was quite unsure what I wanted to do, really. Still playing football at this point, you know, recreational. Um, and during, the, you know, the environment, similar to like a kicks program, really. So, you know, I was on the I was on those programs and um, one of my cousins had to, happened to be a coach there and someone else who I've, you know, I've recently been working with was also my coach then they always push this idea of maybe going to your level one, going to your level one, and you're really into football and, you know, going to it, you never see what happens, you, know, you don't know what happens, what's going to happen next. Lo and behold, didn't do it. Got to 18, um, for, you know, and then finished my second year at college. Took a gap year. Probably either the dumbest or the smartest decision of my life at the time, in hindsight. Um, and in that gap year, I basically got caught up with the wrong people. Um, caught up with a bad crowd. One thing led to another. And within six, seven months leaving college, second year, I've ended up with a crew and record. Um, I was at that point where I was like, okay, cool. Um, I, I probably kind of got away with that one a bit lightly. And at that point, I had to make a decision. I asked myself a question. Well, I've got to do something here. What am I going to do? I can either continue doing what I'm doing and potentially end down a path that I don't know where it's going to end up or I can try and do something a bit more positive and end up elsewhere. Um, and I guess just just said to myself, yeah, I'm going to go and do my level one. Did my level one age 18. 
Um, so this is what September 2000, uh, August, August or September, I think it was August. I think it was maybe September 2000 and I think nine. Yeah. 2009, I think it was did that and haven't looked back since. Um, so, you know, I remember, I remember, I actually remember going to my level one. I remember like it was yesterday to be fair, sitting in that classroom. Um, we had a white, uh, a white guy called Dan McLoon, black guy, teacher called Ray Lee. Funnily enough, I, you know, I've now delivered courses with Ray Lee since um, many years on. But I remember sitting there thinking, these guys have got it easy. These guys are just living life, you know, teaching people how to play football and teaching people how to coach football. And I thought, I, I want to be able to do that one day. Um, yeah, so then I started my coaching journey from there. I really did my level one, finished it um, off my own back. And then after that next couple of weeks, just spent some time looking at potential opportunities, whether that be it you know clubs grassroots clubs after school clubs and whatever that might be um got a bite back from a, a local local boys side um the guy invited me down to have a chat with him um it turns out they had three teams i think at the time they were under 14 boys they had an a b and a c team but they you know they basically had an influx of players that they didn't anticipate having and they needed another coach to kind of th- form a third team jumped on board he was you know he was keen to get me involved um, I was a bit apprehensive and, and hesitate, hesitant to as to whether I should go because at that point, off the back of my criminal record, I still had a tag on my leg. Um, so around my ankle, I've got you know I'm on curfew most nights and I've got, I got you know a tag on my ankle. So I'm thinking, right, what are they going to think about that? But to be fair, they didn't judge me. Just like, look, can you do the job? I was like, yeah, I can do it. And then you know the rest is history. So I started that. Um, so yeah, that was my probably first steps into coaching. Spent the first year just working with them, and you know, I think I learned a lot that year myself as a coach. Um, and I think a large part of that was the fact that I was actually given an opportunity just to run the team. Uh, I wasn't going in there assisting anyone, so a lot of it was it was one of them sink or swim situations. Cool. Okay. And so, what what are you doing at the moment? You said you're with the FA. Is that right? Yeah. So um, so I'm not. Formally contracted the FA, but I work as an affiliate tutor. So over the last couple of years, probably since 2018, 17 even, yeah, 2000, some sort of around time around there in the last three, four years, um, delivering coach education courses for the FA, predominantly uh, in and around Middlesex County, but working across several counties in the area, um, in and around London. Okay. And have you, okay, I'll ask a leading question. So have you tried getting into clubs and trying to do more formal coaching and stuff? Yes, I mean throughout my journey. So you know, going back, what if I go back to the start of my journey, uh, 2009 is where it all began, and then you know within a couple of years, and you know, I've managed to go through some of the qualifications. I got my first academy role in 2014, I think it was 2014 or 15. Spent a couple of years there, um, in a, in, a, in a couple of different roles. You know, initially working as a head of goalkeeping, um, and then supporting with the under 18s as well, and then beyond that, you know, and even helped the club at the time. Um, develop and launch their own college program, you know, so again, pro 16 program for players to come into. It was almost used as a, a feeder group, if you like, for the, for the 18. So that was quite interesting. Um, and then after that, moved to another another club, so that, you know, going from a cap three club to now a Premier League club at the time, working in their academy, did a season there, working across the foundation phase and the youth development phase with their players. And it's difficult, man. Uh, you know, I was at that club, um, I learned a few things, but I didn't feel like the environment was in alignment with where I wanted to be, um, both on an individual level, um, but then on a, on a professional level as well. Uh, so since then, I've kind of just, you know, took a step out of the, the academy game, if you like, um, and then kind of just been working 
mainly in grassroots, but you know, just to highlight mainly grass more more elite uh, performance settings rather than recreational settings. Uh, so post sixteen programs that are, you know are competitive post sixteen programs, um, as well as as well as several universities I've worked across. So you know, large large amount of my experience has kind of been with that fourteen to kind of nineteen kind of age range over the last ten to twelve years, um, and now yeah, just spent the last couple of years working in in the coach education space as well alongside some of the stuff that I've done. Managed to work my way up through the qualifications as well. You know, I've managed to get myself you know work my way up to being an A licensed coach. Got the advanced youth award specialising in the youth development phase um, as well as having a goalkeeping B licence so you know, I've got a range of experiences across the game um, both as a coach and a coach educator now um, and then obviously today you know I'm sitting here in front of you as the founder of the, you know, co-founder of the Coaches Network uh, having set that up with my wife and you know now got a podcast similar to you guys where I'm hoping to kind of just share knowledge and you know help coaches develop um, as well as recently launched my own coach education programme off the back of it as well Cool. Okay. So what happened with the Premier League club? You said you didn't feel that you were a fit. Do you think, would that apply? Was that specific to that club? Or do you think the way the academy structure is in the, in, in England isn't something that works for you? Yeah, I mean, it's, 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 it's a good question. I think first and foremost, I think it can happen at any club. Um, so I don't think it's club specific. It can happen at any club. I think it's also depending... On a, you know, knowing yourself as a coach, I, you know, I consider myself a coach who knows what he wants, <laughs> and I know what I'm looking for. I guess uh, uh, you know, I'm not saying that you're going to get that wherever you go because you're not. Sometimes you're going to have to fit in. Sometimes you're going to blend in, and sometimes you're going to have to put in graft in areas that maybe you're not as passionate about in order to kind of lay a foundation and build you up to get to another point. Um, but I think what's key is understanding where I was at in my journey as a coach. Um, and where the club maybe came into that journey to, I didn't think the club um, had the same vision as I did for my for my own, for my own personal journey. Um, so I guess I had to take a step at that point and decide: right, do I stay here knowing that they don't have that same vision? Um, and it's not to say that you know I want something overnight or promise that this is what's going to happen. But if they are at least in alignment to say, right, this is where we see you, and we we you know we can see you on the same trajectory you see yourself on, um, even if it is at a different pace, if you like then that's fine because it shows there's progression. Um, I just I just felt for me at that in, in that environment in particular, I didn't feel like there was progression for me. I felt there's opportunities that have been passed up, you know, I've been passed up on, um, despite there being some promises made to me. So I kind of had to make a decision at that point and say, right, is it right for me to stay here knowing that that's what's happened? Um, so I guess, yeah, you know, from a, a personal perspective, I kind of just felt that this club is probably not going to be the right one for me at the time. Um, or maybe not the club, but, the timing is maybe just wrong more than anything. Um, it might be just a case of maybe taking a step back, reevaluating, um, seeing where I want to end up, seeing seeing what's available and then going from there. Do you think coaches are, do you think they're valued as much as they should be, especially maybe not the head coach, but we're talking about this, all the support staff and, mm. and the academies and at grassroots, et cetera? Sure, it's an interesting question. I think um, the honest, you know, the, 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 I guess the, the short answer is no. I don't think they're valued well enough, uh, but I also don't think coaches help themselves. Um, I think uh, people are so keen and eager to get into the professional game in in, in, in any capacity, um, even if it is at academy level and even if it is at the lower lower clubs, that they're often put it this way. 
I reckon if more coaches stood up and said, no, I'm not working for that much, then there'd be some changes. So they value themselves a little bit more? A hundred percent. But at the same time, people, you know, people place that, uh, people potentially devalue themselves to get an opportunity. Now, I'm not, I don't mind to say that's wrong or right. Um, it's up to them what they do, but I think certainly as a whole, it makes it very difficult for coaches to then be able to justify challenging for you know a better package if you like in, in clubs um, and, and argue their case for uh, the value they bring because there's someone else right behind you willing to take it for cheaper. Um, but at the same time, I don't think it helps in the fact that the qualifications have you know have become the way they are. And I think there's a lot more coaches coming through now. Uh, and being passed on qualifications that probably maybe five, ten years ago, they probably wouldn't wouldn't be considered competent um, for different reasons. But I think what's happening is obviously you're saturating the market, you're diluting the amount, the quality of coaches that are coming through in some ways. And obviously, it's not everyone. So you know you can't generalize and stereotype. But there's a lot of coaches who probably are passing the mark, but maybe aren't quite there yet, in my opinion. Um, which again then just leaves it open to more debate and more questions because. Right. If the if the if the E Triple P then says, right, you need to have XYZ to apply for this job, well, you've got the XYZ to apply for the job, doesn't necessarily mean you're good enough to do it. Um, that's one aspect of it. And then the other side is right, you've got coaches who have gone through this pathway who and and at the, you know the challenges as well, maybe want to work at the professional development phase. Because generally what happens is with the older players, you get paid more. But actually, you know, if, if if yourself as a coach, you look at you know you look at what your capabilities are, your skill sets, and your passion. Even some people might have a passion for working better with the nines and nines, tens and elevens. But actually, the money at the the thirteens, fourteens, fifteens, or even sixteens and eighteens is is going to offer you more. So I think there is that challenge. Um, I think in an ideal world, you'd have an environment where everyone gets paid based on the value they they bring to the environment. But yeah. Your guess is as good as mine in terms of when, when and if that's ever going to happen. Fair enough. Okay, so tell us about what you're doing now. You said you've set up a, a business. I know you've got the podcast. We'll come back to that in a yeah. little bit. But what else did you say you've you've set up? Yeah, so a lot alongside the podcast, um, you know, I've recently set up a coach education program. So um, throughout this lockdown, I've got this, to be honest, it's kind of worked for me quite well in that it's given me a lot more time. So I'm currently studying a master's um, down at St. Mary's in Twickenham. And throughout that process, I've also utilised the opportunity to kind of, you know, combine some of the stuff that I'm doing with my masters and the research I've been conducting as, as part of my studies uh, to build uh, coach education seminars and webinars together. Um, so I've delivered I've delivered several at the moment uh, in, in the recent weeks, and the idea is to kind of, well, I've got about, on, I'm on course to have nine different modules. Um, so prior to the first lockdown, um, I was, I was, I guess, if you like, trialing some of the content. Um, working with a couple of different grassroots clubs, going into their clubs um, and basically delivering in-house CPD for their clubs. Um, so if you're like, you know, I've spent the last couple of years working in the coach education pathway and, you know, I'm not the one who writes the content, but I'm the one who has to deliver it. So it's given me an opportunity to highlight maybe, maybe some additional content could be um, could be useful for the, for the coaches coming on these courses and beyond. So I've utilised my experience as a coach, coach developer, um, also now as a student, you know, a long-term student in the game to be able to identify some key areas that I feel that would definitely benefit coaches across the board um, to now, I guess, build out some content for that. So, you know, I've, I've been recently running um, a webinar where I kind of support coaches and laying the foundation of their coaching philosophies, 
from my experience, you know, I speak to a lot of coaches, not just level one, two, three, but even at A license, level four coaches, you know, you ask them what their philosophy is, they and they're stunned. Um, I think a lot of people have a philosophy. In fact, I'm I'm certain every single person has a philosophy, but 90 percent people don't. Well, maybe not ninety percent, but a large majority of them probably don't know how to explain it or express it to you because they probably never put pens to paper on it. So, you know, in in that first module, I kind of take coaches through a journey, I guess, if you like, of identifying why they coach, what the what's important to them, what their values are, um, to really come up with a, a clear pen to paper statement, if you like, on the reasons why they coach and what you know to lay the foundations of their philosophy and once they've understood those things then they can start building on them in terms of how they're going to turn that thing into a vision to to reality if you like um so that's that's, that's kind of the first one but you know so, so part of that process is me uh, initially obviously during this lockdown period has been delivering as webinars but uh, otherwise once lockdown's over the plan is to kind of go into several clubs whoever's interested uh, in i guess uh, securing my services on that respect to go in and, and do a bespoke kind of delivery for their coaches. So let's say, for instance, you've got our game two FC. I'll come in and I'll work with all your coaches, uh, go through the workshops and and kind of ha- have various touch points throughout the year with your coaches to kind of see how they're getting on. If you like, it's almost like a mentoring, a mentoring package. Um, so that's kind of what I'm doing at the moment uh, alongside the podcast. And then there's a few other projects I'm working on that I've got in the pipeline, which... I'd love to be able to share with you right now, but until they're over the line, you know, I, I don't, I don't want to say too much on them. Cool. Maybe you can come back and tell us once you do have them off the ground. All right. Tell us about the podcast because I, like I said, I know one of the things that you say, I think it's in somewhere I've seen some description. You mentioned Shaquille O'Neal, which I mean, this is one of the greatest basketball players of all times, as well as being a pretty decent rapper as well. I've, I said to you, I've got his album kicking around somewhere where I, where I with the rest of, my stuff. So how did the podcast come about? Actually, yeah, tell us how the podcast came about and yeah, I mean, how you've got so many great guests. Yeah, I guess if, if I take it back to the start of the journey of the Coaches Network in in, in all. Um, so the idea of the Coaches Network actually kind of came about in 2016, I think I mentioned. So obviously, you know, I, was at, I was at a club at the time and I think having those experiences at, 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 in, in, in the academies really helped me to understand more more clearly around how big the gap is between those coaches in the academy setting and those outside of it. So my, I guess if you like, my kind of aim at the time was, right, can I create a, a platform or find somewhere where I can bridge that gap as close as possible, um, whether that be through having these people in the same spaces, having these people in, so that they can have maybe conversations, whether they can maybe share opportunities or just share insights, if you like. Uh, and that was kind of the basis of it. Um, did that for a little while. Uh, it went quite well. We were having a you know, really productive conversation around coaching. and uh, But I guess for me, I felt it was a lot of time being put into it, but I don't think it was enough. Uh, and, and maybe this is probably why it didn't work out in the first place, because there wasn't enough recognition or there wasn't enough appreciation for the work that was going in behind the scenes. Um, and I think, probably, you know, if, if, I, if I think back in now, it's probably one of the reasons why it didn't kick off as well as I wanted it to so anyway it, it did well for a few months um I'm pushing it pushing it pushing it and then kind of you know there's a few things that I, I was I was dealing with in my personal life as well and I kind of just got I just got overbared with everything you know I, I kind of put too much on my plate if you like um so kind of parked it up for a little bit but around that time I want to say maybe 2018 to kind of yeah 2017 to kind of 2018 I've spent maybe about 12 to 16 month period where I kind of went a bit um 
on a bit of a detox, if you like. So I stopped listening to music. I was uh, literally only drinking water. I wouldn't touch anything else. And I got a complete, complete detox in that respect. And I kind of, uh, I got attached to podcasts, podcasts and audiobooks. I never much of a reader, couldn't stand reading. I didn't read my first book uh, cover to cover until I think I was 24. Um, and it, I just, it just, couldn't, it just couldn't grasp the idea of reading a book. Um, but then I realized actually that first book I read cover to cover, um, which I've got in the other room actually. Which book uh, was book it? By Damien Hughes, uh, Think Like Sir Alex Ferguson. Okay. So read that and I thought, this is amazing. I love reading. <laughs> but then I realized actually I just wanted to read something I was actually passionate and wanted to read about. I think that was, and that was the underlying thing. So, anyways, gone to the podcasting, kind of just been sucked in 12 to 18 months, just nonstop podcast, audiobooks, not touched anything else. And, you know, there were some podcasts, if you like, I'd probably listen to religiously like two, three times a week. Um, and the basis of all of them was they were all kind of, informal educational but they were entertaining and inspiring and motivational content if you like um so it was not just about uh coaching but actually a lot of it was about personal development as well so i had this idea i think i could do i think i think i'd love to have a podcast one day now i'm sitting on the idea uh, and, and i guess the, the foundations of the idea was this um to have a podcast where I'd speak to other coaches and just discuss coaching related topics to find out their perspectives, share insights and share knowledge and just then share that with the world, if you like, um, with the odd occasion where it might be right. Me and you having a conversation, apps, uh, we're talking about, I don't know, um, the differences between having a coaching session, which is opposed versus a coaching session, which is unopposed. And then I might go do some research, pull out some academic literature and say, right, here's, here's some research that's been done. Um, what are your thoughts apps? What is your experience like? What do you think about this? This is something that's been done at university of so-and-so, and this is what they found. I'll give my insights. You give your insights. We kind of have, and that's just basically the basis of the conversation, if you like. Um, so that was, you know, it was kind of a mix of those two things. Never really did anything with it. I've been sitting on the idea for a little while. And then I guess if you like, it took a, a bloody global pandemic and me being bored out of my head. Yeah. Uh, to kind of get it started because you know uh, you know my missus gave birth to my son in December 2019 so from December 2019 to May when I actually started the podcast last year what five six months lockdown came in March we've just gone over a year now in lockdown and then about towards the end of April she's like no no you're doing my head in now you're doing my head in go like you know so like, well, what you want, I'm bored, isn't it? Like, what do you want me to do, sort of thing? He goes, no, well, you've had this idea for the podcast. Let's do it. Let's just get it done so you can get out of my head. <laughs> um, so did that. You know, I called a couple. Initially, we just started with me and one of my mates. Um, I remember sitting down with him and I was saying to him, well, I'm, I'm going to start a podcast. Um, and I, at the time, you know, if I think back it now, I think I was, I was saying it was so much uh, oomph, if you like. But I think the way I was saying it was almost like, give me validation. I need you to tell me this is going to work. Um, so then I kind of was that throwing little things in there saying, well, you going to, do you want to get involved as well? Do you want to get <laughs> kind of just drag someone in? Cause then I guess from it takes off some of the accountability, do you know what I mean? So, you know, it started off, started off from my mate. Um, and then in, the, in a couple of days leading up to our first recording, he, you know, he, he said he was going to do it a couple of days leading up to that. man, just by coincidence, I spoke to a couple of other mates who just happened to be coaches as well and told them what I was doing. I guess asked them if they wanted to be involved. They said, yeah, let's get involved. Let's do it. Um, so it ended up with four of us having this conversation. And then 
had a few conversations, had a few recordings. You know, I think in the end we only released four, um, but we probably recorded about thirteen. Um, but kind of there was a couple couple challenges within it. First of all, it was making sure everyone is available at the right time. So which meant I'm now relying on other people. Second thing, I was sitting there thinking it's good, but it's, it's something missing. There was I couldn't I didn't know what it was. There was something missing from it. Um, so I kind of just during that process I ended up having a conversation with one of my other mates who at the time was working for England and working for AFC Bournemouth as well um, and we was having a chat and I said look this, I'm, I'm doing this thing and I'd, just out of curiosity would you mind if I interview you and he's like yeah let's do it man um, so a couple of days later we did it I did, the, I did the interview and I just put it out there I just put it out there I, did, I, didn't, I didn't tell anyone I was doing it I didn't, I didn't consult anyone I just said I put it out there and it was but I knew two a couple minutes into having that interview type conversation. Yeah, this is it. This feels good. This feels right. There's something about this element that made that first it made me feel more comfortable, and I just felt like it was it was really getting to the depth of things. Um, but in my mind, I always wanted to kind of go back to that group type conversation as well because I think that has value too. Um, but I ju- it just it just it just maybe needed some tweaking, and I guess at that time my mind wasn't in the process of being able to know what I should tweak and what I shouldn't. So I just kind of kept the ball rolling, if you like. Um, so ended up from that point onwards just releasing interviews. Um, this is back in May now, and I'm, I'm thinking to myself, right, okay, we're in May, probably up to the end of June, mid-July, maybe eight to ten week period. I've then taken that interview-style process, and I've ended up recording 45 episodes, not even realising, and I'm just going through it. I'm going through it. I'm going through it. And... Because I was just enjoying the conversation, I was just by you no, know, it was it was occupying my time. I wasn't doing anything, you know, anything anything that I could have been doing at that time relied on me being outside, which I couldn't do. Um, so I was just having these conversations, and I just thought to myself, you know, right, let me just reach out to some people that I'd like to speak to. And it, I guess the, the basis of it was, if you like, who do I want to speak to? Who do I want to converse with? And who can I who can I have a good discussion with uh, about different things? And Rather than it being right, perhaps who do you want to hear from? It was me having a conversation with someone, and I guess because the conversation was productive, and I felt like I was getting value from it. If I'm getting value from it, some other people might get value from it. So let me just share it, um, and that was kind of that was kind of the idea mm-hmm. behind it. So got to about July after after I realised I'm taking stock about 40, 40 odd forty odd episodes recorded, and think to myself, wow, okay, I got a lot here. Um, some of the guests that I've had on my, had on my list, and I just started reaching out to different people and I had the likes of uh, some people that I've met on courses before, some people that I've met on different events, some people I've met at you know, different uh, different places. So I had the likes of Chris Ramsey, had the likes of uh, Tony Carr, had the likes of, um, so obviously you know Tony Carr and have been a West Ham fan yourself. Um, Mark Sampson, former England Lioness uh, head coach, I had uh, Dave Jones, former you know Wolves, Cardiff City, Southampton um, first team manager in over a thousand league games. Uh, Mark Warburton, current QPR manager um, at the time. We had Hugh Jennings, um, academy director over at Fulham. We had, uh, you know, the list goes on and the list goes on. Um, but I'm getting to end of July, having this conversation. I had a range of coaches, but then I thought to myself, well, let me give this a different element. So I thought, let me step outside the coaching specific world now. Let me start speaking to people from within the coaching world, but maybe aren't football coaches. So they might be psychologists, they might be performance coaches or whatever they might be and just 
just to add some different conversations different to, to the to the mix, if you like. And um, basically, I was releasing once a week at a time, and ended up then getting to a point where I've got so much I need to just get it out. Release twice a week, I end up releasing twice a week. Um, but I'm still just going through the motions, and you know, I'm looking at the stats, and I think by the end of June, July, we're on, we're in like 19 countries, and I'm thinking, wow, bloody, hell, I'm in 19 countries. You know, I'm seeing countries on there that I, I, I wouldn't, have, you know, if it was going to be 19, it certainly would have been the 19. I think it would. So I've got, you know, people like, what's the country? I had Suriname, I had uh, Bermuda, I had Thailand. I'm thinking, how the hell are these people hearing my voice? Do you know what I mean? It's just, it's, it's quite mind boggling. So I remember, sitting, but at the end of that, I thought to myself, okay, there's something happening here. It's, 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 it's gaining some traction. I remember speaking to my wife and just saying to her, because you know, to be fair, my wife was kind of along, alongside me the whole time, just bouncing ideas off of each other constantly. Obviously, I'm the one on the podcast, but she's behind the scenes doing a lot of work for me as well. Um, and then we got to the point, I think it was end of July, early August, sat down and just basically like, you know, I've, I've, got, I've got good, I've got good uh, feeling about this podcast. I think it's going to do quite well. Uh, I don't know how soon it's going to be or when it's going to happen, but I, I can feel like it's, it, it's, 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 it's gaining traction. Something good's going to be around the corner. And, uh, I want to get some big guests on. And she was, I said, you know, I've, I've had some decent guests on already, but I want to go bigger. I want to go, I want, I want to go really big. And she goes, who do you want on there? And she goes, why don't you just make a list and then we'll see what we can do. So start making a list. And, you know, I'm talking, you know, first name on the list was uh, Ronaldinho. So, yeah, I had, I had David Beckham, I, you know, Roberto Carlos. I had Michael Jordan on the list. And I thought, you know, I'm not going to limit it. I had um, Roger Federer, you know, all these, all these top athletes. Um, and within that list, you know, I had I, had, I put down the likes of Sol Campbell, the likes of Shaquille O'Neal, um, and a few others. And so this is like, yeah, middle of August, the start of August, to put this list together. Um, and then I think it's about six weeks later, around the start of October, if you like. Yeah. Um, so I've made this list, and then beginning of October, my wife is on FaceTime with Shaquille O'Neal. Um, I just remember one day went, I went I went to uh, I went to work. I was doing a, I was doing a coaching session at the time. It was a private coaching session, um, and then she gave me a call on Facetime. I was like, oh, she was in a bit of hysterics. I was thinking, oh, what's wrong? I'm like, what's up? She goes, you never believe what's just happened. I was like, go and tell me what's happened. She goes, I just got off the phone to Shaquille now. I was on I was on Facetime with Shaq. I was like, all right, cool. Um, I guess it, it, the initial thing was right. She's on she's on FaceTime with Shaq. That's crazy, like it's crazy. But I was so I was much more focused around right. Well, what did he say? <laughs> you know, we can we can go back to the part about FaceTime often. What did he say? Like he, he goes, Oh, he's gonna do it, he's gonna come on the podcast. I told him about the podcast, and, and he was like, He's gonna do it. I was like, Okay, wicked. When is it gonna happen? He goes, Oh, he just said just um just message him a time and he'll sort something out. So I kind of fast forward a little bit, put a time in place. You know, the time difference, I think he's about five or six hours behind or whatever. Um, I think he must have agreed on that 10 o'clock our time, which would have been about uh, maybe three in the afternoon for him or something like that. Or something around that sort of time. Anyway, got to 10, 11, 12, nothing. 1 a.m., 2 a.m., 3 a.m., nothing. We didn't, hear, we didn't hear from him. And uh, we went to sleep. So this is getting late now. It's 3 a.m. Um, went to sleep. Around, I want to say about 3 a.m. And, and then probably about half three, quarter to four. We didn't see it until the next morning, but we got a text from him saying, "Let's go, I'm ready." Um, so we missed Shaquille O'Neal. I'm thinking, oh, flipping it, man! How are we going to get out? You know, what are we going to do now? Um, and then, you know, kind of fast forward. 
get to December, and then uh, early December we set up a meet. We set up a call with Sol Campbell. Set up a call with Sol Campbell, um, and what we thought initially was just going to be a quick chat before we kind of book in a date, just to, for him to find out a little bit more about the podcast and whatnot. Um, I'm literally just chatting to him as I am with you, maybe five, ten minutes. He goes, all right, so you ready to record then? I think, well, boy, if you're ready, then I'm ready. <laughs> um, I'm not doing anything right at this moment. But yeah, so, you know, I ended up recording Saul Campbell and I thought, I guess that this is early December now and we're kind of just really on a high for the rest of the month. Get to Christmas Day now. I don't know what, I don't know, I just, I woke up that morning. I said, um, give Shaq a call. It's crazy. You didn't even think I can say that to my wife. Yeah, give Shaq a call. We've got, you know, you've got his number on your phone sort of thing. Do you know what I mean? Um, and let's see what he says. Because from that first time, we kind of uh, wouldn't say lost contact, but we kind of it was it was a bit distant. So it wasn't that much uh, discussion going on. Called him on uh, Christmas Day, and he answered straight away. And he goes, um, "So we want to do it today." I'm thinking, right, it's Christmas Day. If you want to do it today, then I'm down. But it's Christmas Day. He goes, "No, I'm going out for a couple of hours. I'll be back, and then we'll do it um, again." Set a time, 10 p.m., nothing. 11 p.m., nothing. 12 p.m., well, midnight, nothing. I'm saying to my wife, no, it's going to happen, it's going to happen. She goes, oh, I'm tired, I'm going to go put my makeup, you know, wipe my makeup and go to bed. I was like, I don't know what to tell you other than it's going to happen tonight. I'm very confident it's going to happen tonight. You know, And the fact that he's actually called us and told us he's going to do it today, I'm very confident it's going to happen. Blessed my wife. You know, she went, she went wiped her makeup off, went to bed. And then literally 10 minutes after she wiped her makeup off, he messages her and says, let's go, I'm ready. Um, so that night, Boxing Day for us, 1 a.m., 1.30 a.m., Boxing Day for us, Christmas Day over in the States. I'm sitting there recording with Shaquille O'Neal. Um, and then, you know, that came out the following week. So I released Shaul Campbell's episode on the Christmas Day, recorded with Shaquille O'Neal on Christmas Day, and then released Saul, uh, Shaquille O'Neal's episode on uh, New Year's Day. At the end of December, we was in 29 countries. By the end of the first week in, in January, I'm in 69 countries um, and I've accumulated over you know 300,000 views across all the platforms and whatnot, um, which which is just crazy. And I think, you know, the rest has just kind of just been just going with it, taking each step as it comes. And, you know, most recently we've had uh, Jack Walsh came on to, uh, you know, had Jack Walsh done a recording with him a couple of weeks back. Um, that should be released at the end of this month, hopefully. Um so yeah, just you know, I guess just literally going through the podcast, just trying to get on as many guests as possible. It's fantastic guests, and it, I, I think the the beauty of the conversations are is as much as you know, it's about sports. But actually, if you if you listen, anyone listens to the conversation, it's about sports because that's the that's the industry the person works in. But if you actually listen to the conversation, it's actually about their journey and some of the challenges that they've faced and some of the uh, obstacles that they've overcome and maybe some of the influences and the messages that they've learned over, over the years, if you like. Yeah, cool. Fantastic. So you, 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 the plans are to continue with the podcast, right? Definitely. As part of everything else that you're doing. Yeah, definitely. So we're at a stage now where, you know, we've always got kind of a backlog of episodes, if you like. So I'm kind of, even now I'm sitting here having this conversation with you, we've got enough episodes to take us through to end of September. Um so there's there's quite a bit there, you know. In, in that process, I've been managed to managed to recruit a, a you know team of staff to kind of work with us on that 
Um, so, you know, supporting myself and my wife on, on the project, um, whether that be through the social media elements, whether that be through editing and kind of just really uh, free me up a little bit more just to focus on the actual interview aspects and actually, I guess, putting the, putting the, doing, yeah, doing the, having the discussions really, which is the bit that I enjoy. So um, everyone's a winner here, do you know what I mean? Yeah, fantastic. I'll put it in the show notes anyway, but if someone wants to listen in, listen to your podcast, what are they searching for? Yeah, so we're on all major platforms, just to type in the Coaches Network podcast. Um, so you can know you find us on Spotify, Apple, wherever else you know you listen to your podcasts, um, Google or Amazon or whatever it may be. Um, but you can also you know feel free to kind of check out the social media as well. We're on you know Twitter at the Coaches Net and on Instagram at the Coaches Network, where we're always posting uh, some you know different pieces of content. Um, sparking conversations with coaches and you know people are like um, yeah that's, that's 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 pretty much it man obviously if you want to find out any more information you can head over to the coachesnetwork.co.uk fantastic so how has how have these conversations how have they or have they changed any the way you see coaching or they changed the way you run sessions etc um, I think in terms of running sessions it's been difficult obviously we haven't been able, we haven't been able to coach um, certainly have challenged me in some of the ways that I view um, coaching, certainly have maybe reaffirmed and confirmed things further for me in the way I view coaching. So it is, it is, is it is a good mix of the both. I think you know, I'm just excited to kind of now go back into an environment where I can maybe implement some of the stuff I've picked up, but I've certainly learned a lot of things. Um, and I think that's what, that's what, that's what these conversations are good for. And I was having a conversation with someone this morning and I was just saying that, you know, there's plenty of people that have had success and they say success leaves clues, but so does failure. You know, people, people, people always look to people that have done well, if you like to, to kind of uh, get, get guidance and answers from, but I'll tell you, you can probably get just as much valuable information, if not even more valuable at times from people who haven't succeeded. Um, so, it's, you know, I think it's, it's very important to have these conversations. Like I said, for me, I, I've just had the pleasure of being the one that they're in, involved in the conversation and, you know, to then be able to share that with people and then get, um, you know, responses and feedback from people to say that how it's impacting them on their journeys and how, how useful and relevant they found it for themselves in there is just a bonus for me. Cool. Okay. Um, just to take it back to kind of Asians in football and stuff like that, through your journey, um, we've talked about you being mixed heritage, but you look Asian. Do you how? Has anything ever been said or do you ever feel there's been any kind of uh, people acted with you slightly differently or said anything along your journey? Yeah, I mean, it's a difficult one, because, you know, the reality is, even if if it was the case, you'd never know for certain. Um, I think people have perceptions, people have uh, views that they're never going to share and they're never going to air. And I think all you can do at that point is just take them on, take them on face value. But, you know, there's, 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 there's things that I've seen, you know, there's, I think there's certainly people that feel, um, you know, I can't, I can't, I can't sit here and say openly that, you know, I've, I've experienced um, direct racism in, in, in football. Am I going to be, am I going to be one of those people that say it doesn't exist? Of course not. It definitely exists. It's just harder to prove it than it is to, is to know that is to know that it happens if you like. Um, but I think there's, there's so many ways that people can get around it. And, and I think, you know, being an Asian, if we just go through some of the stats, there's what Asians, Asians make up 7% of the national population. You know, you're looking at roughly, you know, maybe four to four and a half million people up and down the country. 
now from this four and a half million people up and down the country, you know, looking at what, 50, less than 15 professional footballers. I don't know the exact number, but it's probably, I think it's less than 15 professional footballers. Um, less than 25, I think it is, players who are playing at, um, you know, under 18 to under 23 football in, in, in the professional in the professional leagues. And then even less than that, I think you've got Asian coaches in the professional game at any level, you know, from first team right down to academy football. Now, you don't need to be a genius. You don't need to call it racism to understand what it is. If there's, you know, you've literally got that many people involved and, and, you know, it's not just, it's any type of Asian. Do you know what I mean? It's not, it's not just the thing. There's, there's obviously an issue there, and it's not just an Asian issue. You know, I think it's an ethnicity issue in, in whole. But certainly, you know, if I can speak on Asians more specifically, because that's obviously, the, you know, if you like the demographic that I'm more kind of representing this in this case, there is there's definitely an issue. Um, but can we, sit, can we stand here and physically point at someone and say, yeah, you're the racist or you're this or that? it's always going to be difficult but I think I think there's so many initiatives right now that are being, being put in place to kind of support these things but the reality is you can never prove someone's intention Talking of the initiatives and stuff like that uh, do you think do you think there's enough you've done a little bit of work with the FA do you think they're doing enough I know they've they've allocated a couple of spaces on the A licence for Asians I believe um, and there's a, obviously the the other initiatives they've got, but they focus primarily on participation as a, and that's at all levels, including grassroots, etc. Yeah. Um. So, do you think either either do you think there's enough, or is there anything specific that you think needs to be done? Um, I think I think you know the short answer is no, but at the same time, do I think the initiatives are actually doing much? I think there's a lot of good initiatives out there, and I think it's all done with good intention. But the reality is, it's an initiative. The day, the day it becomes a uh, a situation where there's no initiative needed is obviously the, the day that, you know, that it's, had, it's had its impact. But to find us in year after year, there's a new initiative, there's this initiative, there's that initiative. How many initiatives do you want before you realise that actually this is a bigger problem than just solving it with initiatives? You know, the first, the first challenge was, right, you know, if we go back to 2011, they launched the Coach Bursary Programme at the FA where they thought, actually, the issue here is getting more qualified coaches. Actually, that's one of the ways in which you can solve, try and solve the problem, but actually it's not going to solve anything because whether you've got 10, whether you've got 100, whether you've got 200 coaches from an underrepresented background, if you're playing a numbers game, yeah, potentially you could get somewhere, but the reality is now by getting them on a bursary, the amount of coaches that I know personally have been um, labelled as, oh, you're the coach with the bursary, rather than, you're the, yeah, the person got a bursary, but that's no difference to a player having a scholarship. He's still got to be good enough to get through the door and cross, cross the line, if you like. So, yeah, they might have had a bursary, might have had some support financially, but that doesn't take away from them the value that they've 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 now added to go to get that qualification in the first place. So, I think that's 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 one aspect of it. You know, that, that's one of the challenges, and I think over the years. The initiatives, whether it be the Premier League or the FA initiatives, have kind of reshaped themselves, and they've had to reword certain things and relabel themselves for different reasons because it's now considered a positive discrimination, and then it's a positive action scheme, and then there's this. So there's so there's so many kind of you know discussions happening around these things, but the reality is, have the numbers gone up? 
And it, this is this is one of the things I don't have the numbers in front of me, but I would also challenge right how many how many more um, coaches from underrepresented backgrounds are there? Really, if you look at the stats. Um, but what what people, in my opinion, tend to kind of overlook is actually yeah the numbers might look like they're going up, but what's actually happening in a lot of cases is with these initiatives they're making coaches from underrepresented backgrounds who are maybe part time staff and moving them into potentially full time roles as part of initiatives. But actually, when they took those coaches out of the part-time stuff and put them in the full-time role, either that part-time role doesn't get filled in again. And if it does, it might not necessarily be another underrepresented coach. Now, therefore, your numbers aren't really changing that much. You're just moving them from part-time to full-time. Um, so you're almost masking the issue of that rather than actually identifying, uh, actually, we need to get more of these people into the game. And the reality is, Again, we don't know people's intentions. We don't know why people do what they do. And, and, and you know, that will go with them to their graves, if you like. But I think the short answer is, are the initiatives working? Um, they're having some effect. Are they having the effect that the people want them to have? I don't believe so. Because um, the reality is, you know, you, 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 there's a number of coaches, you probably maybe heard of them or come across them that have been on such initiatives, have done the initiative, and they've almost forgotten about it again. You get two years at this club, or you get four years at that club, or you get an, you get an eighteen month birth, um, scholarship with the FA, or whatever that might look like. Where are these people now? Where are some of these people now? And that, that's the question that you need to ask: Is what happens after that initiative's over? Are they still being kept in the door? Now, yes, there's an element of them having to be good enough and prove their value, but even at that point, what's the progression route? So you're giving people opportunities, but is the opportunity limited in the sense that right after those two years, the club's done their bit, the FA's done their bit, off you go, you're on your own now. I don't know, the, I don't know, I don't have the answers to that question, but I certainly think that you know uh, they're probably not having as as a dramatic impact as people would um, at least like for them to have, if you like. Do you think with I mean the area you live in and have grown up in is has there's a lot of Asians there, so mm. both in terms of pe- those people that you know and are people any coaches you've come across through the coaches network, et cetera. Um, do you think, do you think the coaches that are there, let's talk about coaches for a moment. Um, do you think they're fully committing themselves? And what I mean by that is, I was going to say, do they realize there's a glass ceiling and therefore they're holding themselves back a little bit? Like you're doing this full time. This is what you do. You do coaching, whether it's the podcast or the coaching, etc. You commit yourself full time to it, but we know that there's lots of coaches you know that don't. It's an interesting question. Um, there's two. There's two things here. First of all, um, yeah, I've grown up in this area, but to be honest, with you, I haven't grown up around a lot of Asians. I haven't. Um, a lot of a lot of my friends growing up, they either were black, they were white, they were anything but Asian. I didn't really know any Asians apart from people that were my family members. So it's quite interesting one because even when I go on courses and I meet with other coaches, I didn't, I didn't even know Asian coaches existed when I first started coaching outside of my, outside of my cousin who was a coach at the time. Um, and then one other guy, but in terms of taking it as a career, if you like, or as a profession, I didn't know any Asian coaches. I didn't, I, I'd never seen them. I didn't know anything about them. I didn't know where to look or, or if I could even see a role model in that respect. However, they are out there. Um, just went, I just wasn't, I just wasn't, uh, you know, um, getting access to them if you like and so I think for me I, that's never that was never really a thing for me um, so I guess but I, you know having conversations with coaches since and you know I, I see it the amount of coaches Asian coaches that I've seen I've met over the more recent years where they've come across and then you know they've, 
it's, it's a difficult one. Maybe they try and share some of their experience or they maybe gravitate around me because they maybe see someone who looks like them, if you like. Um, but actually our journeys are very different because, you know, traditionally, as an example, if you look at the stereotype, people say, oh, Asian people don't really go go into football because it's not seen as a, a professional or a career. And maybe if they are into sport, it's, it's probably, football's probably not the first sport. Um, but then, you know, generally there's, there's a large push for academics and all that sort of stuff. And I've never really had that pressure. Even now I'm studying my master's, I've done it off my own. You know, I, wasn't, I didn't do it because my parents made me do it. I felt obliged to do it because of my parents or because of my family. And I just kind of did my own thing because, and I, I maybe largely, largely because, you know, my dad grew up here. My dad came here when he was young. My, my mom came over when she married my dad. And so I think my, 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 because of that, I mean, my dad had a different appreciation for, for what things are like in this country, if you like. Um, so I've never kind of been pushed or pressured in that way. Um, so, I, but I think going back to your question, if you know, I think we'll definitely see other coaches who maybe are from stereotypical backgrounds who face some of those challenges and they've not been really supported and pushed down the path. Yeah, go and become a professional football coach. It's probably now go to university, do this, do that, whatever that might be. Um, go and make some money or whatever that might be. And um, you know, there's no right or wrong there either. But I definitely think that does play a part in how they then potentially uh, perceive their opportunity in the game and what steps to take because. I can only imagine if I was getting that in my ear every single day, the risk of actually going into football and becoming a coach is probably even bigger than it or probably looks even bigger now. Um, whereas I've never had that. So I think it's, it's all I've known, if you like, it, as, ever since I kind of started my, my, my working or career journey, if you like, um, to the point where, you know, even when they share stories, and they see me, I look like them, but I can't relate to you because I've, I've, not, I've not lived that life, um, which is often kind of, it's, it's obviously difficult for me to kind of relate. It's like, I, I get it, but I don't quite get it, if that makes sense. The funny thing is, is yes, there is a stereotype, um, but the reality is your reality, what you've just said, it's not uncommon. There's lots, is it not mm. uncommon, not common? There's lots of people we've come across that are like that, that have grown up. There's, as with perhaps not having that stereotypical Asian upbringing with a, with the focus on education. But the stereotype is there, and that's what externally gets said to many that, or in conversation that, yeah, we've had, for instance, we've heard of coaches say, yeah, wouldn't take on an Asian kid because as soon as he gets towards exam time, that's where the focus will be, etc. Um Mm-hmm. And there's many people, listen, of all ethnicities that will be like that because their parents will value mm-hmm. education. But equally, there are as many of all ethnicities that will, parents that will support their children to do whatever they want to, if it's play football or going to coaching, etc., they'll support them to do that. But it's just interesting mm. that the fact that a the perceptions that people have around it. And I'm just wondering, like I said, it's just curious as to know with some people whether they hold themselves back because they don't see a path. I don't think it's just about role models. It's it's a path. Yeah, I, it's definitely, I mean, for me, it's, it's not just football, it's any walk of life. I think if, if, you, if you believe that you can or you believe that you can't, then that's what the reality is going to be. Um, no one said it's going to be easy because if it was everyone would be doing it 
Um, you know, I, whenever people ask me things like that, the only, the image that comes to my mind, you know, you must have seen it where the guy's knocking for the diamonds, and then there's another one knocking for the diamonds, and he's miles behind, but actually he's he's going at it, he's not going to stop, and the one who's maybe just this far away gives up. You don't ever want to be that guy. You don't ever want to be in a position where you're saying that could have been me. So yeah, you don't know what your past is going to look like. You don't know what's around the corner, but I can tell you one thing for free. If you don't continue, you ain't going to get there. Um, now, it, all it's going to take is one one of us, if you like, uh, to find those diamonds and then everyone's got access to them. Everyone still has to work for them. They still have to get their way from day one in the mind to the, you know, to the final knock, knock of the diamond, if you like. But that path then becomes easier. And I think, you know, just to cut, you know, on that note, it's a case of another observation I made with generally coaches from underrepresented backgrounds is some of them are happy just being the token underrepresented coach in the background. And there's not enough people holding doors open for one another. And I think that there needs to be more of an allegiance in that respect. How how do you think we could create this allegiance? Does it is it just an informal thing? Is it something like the is it the PFA have created the Ames Initiative, Riz Remens for the players, etc.? I know Rashid's trying to do Rashid Abba. He's yeah. trying to, I guess, create his own informal coach. Now he's trying to become a mentor to coaches. So how, yeah, how so do we I do mean, that? Uh, me, no, me, and, me and Rashid work work closely together. And I know Rashid quite well. And the honest answer to that question is um by showing the value that we can bring to the environment. And I think the way I've always looked at it, look, I could be an Asian coach in an environment. I'm not really worried about what the next coach is doing. That don't make a difference to me because the thing is, if I'm worrying about him, that means I'm not thinking about myself. And just because you're thinking about yourself doesn't mean it has to be selfish. But what I mean by that is I'm too busy thinking about how good he's going to be or how much of a threat he's going to be to my position rather than thinking, right, okay, I'm in this position now. How do I make, I don't make myself even better? How do I make myself, even if they bring in X, Y, Z and whoever they may bring in, actually, I'm still the most valuable person in this environment. Rather than thinking, right, oh gosh, they're bringing apps in here. I'm on my toes now. That shouldn't be the mindset. The mind should be, right, you know why you were brought brought into that environment for a reason. But don't let the reason they bring you in be the reason that they say that they've had to let you go. What I mean by that is, if they brought you in because you were a good coach at ABC, don't just stop being a good coach at ABC. Go beyond that. Don't let them say to you, right, well, you haven't developed or you haven't you haven't really improved or done anything different since then when you came in. Show them the value that you could add and how much more you can bring beyond that. So as a coach, you know, my advice to anyone, anyone would be go in there, but know why you're there and show your worth. And if you know your worth and if you value yourself, then it doesn't really matter what everyone else is doing. Cool. Okay, so... What next for you? What sort of goals do you have in over the next few years? Yeah, I mean, well, let's just take each step as it comes for now. And the coaches that with things going really well. Um, we've got big plans for that. Like I said, there's a few projects I'm working on at the moment. Um, hopefully, they can, we can get them over the line over the next couple of months. And, you know, who knows? Sky's the limit, man. Uh, maybe, you know, I guess certainly one thing I definitely want to do is maybe turn some of these webinars that I've been doing into more face-to-face events, uh, give opportunities for coaches from different um, different regions, if you like, not just uh, nationally, but internationally at some point, hopefully, um, to networking, you know, gather at one location or one one venue where they can all share insights and share share their journeys and whatnot. But um, 
yeah, it's just about keep having an impact, man. I mean, I've, I've been very thankful and, you know, really appreciative, you know, all the support that I've been getting so far. Um, you know, my wife and I have, you know, managed to build this platform and got to a point now where week after week I'm getting people messaging me and saying, oh, yes, you know, you, you know, we're loving this bit, we're loving that, you know, love that episode, we love, you know, and, and maybe telling me a bit more about how the impact some of the episodes have having on their journey and how it's helped them develop. So if that can continue, you know, if I can, if I can help one more person each day then or one more person in, in total, um, then I'm doing a better job than I'm doing today. So I think, you know, it's just, it's just about keep doing what I'm doing, enjoy it, share my passion with others and hopefully have an impact and um, bring a better place to the coaching world, if you like. 